Welcome back to another episode of Daryl's Daring Thoughts, Melanin Edition. Thank you for tuning in. We are still celebrating Women's History Month, and I have a very good friend on that I want I wanted to be a part of my podcast for this this month. I wanted to celebrate her, um, especially talking about Black women in business. This girl does she does <laughs> you so damn it. <laughs> She's so stupid. She does everything, child. But let me just go ahead and introduce to you Miss Moshe Elise Donald. Hey, love. Hey, hey, everybody. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Oh, oh, my God. Absolutely. I didn't realize how much I missed you until I just heard your voice. Like, dang, we have so many memories. Yes, we do. We, we have so many memories. <laughs> and we're going to talk about a few yeah. of them. Um, but just want to let you all okay. know, she's driving right now. She's, you know, she's being a mother right now. A mother's duties are never done. So she's driving. So we may have some in and outs, but just bear with us. You know, we still, you know, it's still a pam- pandemic out there. We still, you know, doing what we got to do to make things happen. So, I want to t- I wanted to talk to you because you are you make me proud every time I log into social media. You're always doing things. You're doing exactly what I thought you would be doing from when I met you um in college in 2006. So, like you're doing everything I just knew you were destined to do. So, I'm not surprised. I'm just proud. And I want everyone else to know about it. Well, thank you so much for bringing me on for that. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm an open book, really. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> you are. So yeah. let's just talk about our history. So we met back in college. Um, we both um, attended. Um, I didn't attend the whole four years, but I, I, I it's so funny because I was only at um, A&M for two and a half years, but I felt like I had stayed there longer because so much happened in Adam in of two and a half years that yeah. I still remember it like it was yesterday. So we both went to Alabama and mm-hmm. University Bulldogs and um, go, Bulldogs. go Bulldogs forever. Okay, I'm forever maroon and white. Okay, so right, and I I don't remember how we met. I don't remember. You know, I don't I don't exactly remember either, but. Like I feel like it was around. It had something to do with the play. I felt like before that. I felt like it was before that because I feel like I feel like Justin has something to do with me meeting you because I remember meeting Justin Mm. before I met you because I was a part of the maroon and white newspaper. So I remember. I I wrote for that and I and because that was your best friend, I feel like that's how I ended mm-hmm. up meeting you. So that's just what I think happened. I'm not sure, but I feel like yeah. that's what, how it happened. Probably, yeah, probably on some student center. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I think that's what it was, but whatever the reason was, I met you, you know, I helped, you know, with your play. I, you know, then I, I, I ran for stuff. She was always doing stuff, but we just, we, we connected and we just like, we stayed connected the entire time I was there. And I really enjoyed, really enjoyed you just funny as hell, but (laughs) she was, she was unapologetically black before that was even a term. And y'all, like, when he says play, 
that's like such a huge, huge, huge moment in memory in my mind yep. um, of something um, epic that we accomplished at Alabama A&M University. Um, we went into Grayson Hall, which really hadn't been used for anything, um, not much, rather, and um, we wanted to uh, revitalize that and bring, like, plays and productions back to that space, and I cannot remember that moment and um, doing those things without thinking of you because you were such a huge and integral uh, creative energy in that space and definitely would not have been what it was uh, without you. And we were all on TV and, I mean, sold out. I mean, that, that shit was hot. Can I curse? I'm sorry. Yes, you can. <laughs> that was, we were doing some major Broadway shit like at, at, at A&M in college and you know, we didn't have, well, at least I didn't have a background in it, but uh, the creative energy that you brought and that I brought and Dustin brought and so many others um, made that a really historic moment. And our friendship, I would say, was uh, was really born out of that experience. Mm-hmm. So I'm thankful for that for more reasons than one. <laughs> Absolutely. So that's 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 our history. So, you know, so just so you all aware, that's why, you know, we are so familiar with each other and we'll we'll, you know, shits and giggles on this on this episode. So I want y'all I wanted to bring you on to talk about, you know, everything, all all of your entrepreneurship businesses, you know, being an attorney, (laughs) you know, um, mm-hmm. I guarantee you this podcast is going to go into the archives because I believe this woman will be in the White House. Um, she's going to be in what? the White House. She's going to be in the White House. Hey, they say we're going to touch and agree virtually. Yes, we're going to touch and agree virtually. She is going to be in the yes, White House. She's going to be in the White House or she's going to be in the Supreme Court. It's, it's either, either or. Either or. So I'm Ooh. keeping this podcast in the archives because I said it first. Or I'm one of the people who said it, so I'm I'm gonna bring this podcast up when it happens. Um, so yeah, yes. I just had to say that. So I wanted to talk to you yes. about you know how you know your upbringing got led you to where you are now, because I think as a black woman, it's awesome to see you know black women rock right. Black black women are just dope as fuck. So. It's, you know, it's not surprising to see black women excel in the way you are excelling. But I think that, you know, you know, being from a cornbread fed, naturally born Southern woman, I definitely wanted to get your perspective of growing up in the South and how, you know, with your family and how it what what made you want to go into law and to other and branch off into some of the other businesses that you have. Definitely. Um, and I love me some cornbread. Cornbread and milk. Cornbread and um, <laughs> uh, spaghetti. Cornbread and uh, uh, rice and beans. I, we eat cornbread with everything. But anyway. Mobile, um, Alabama. I am originally Mobile, Alabama. Born and raised on the Gulf Coast. Uh, came up actually in a two-parent two parent household. Um, but, and, and this is a, a testimony for me and a lesson for a lot of people, two-parent does not mean functional, two-parent does not mean healthy. Um, the, the household that I was raised in uh, was very abusive. I experienced physical, verbal, emotional abuse um, by, at, at the hands of my biological father. And, you know, I, I was a little girl with low self-esteem and... Um, 
as I would have described it then, we know better now, but bad hair, um, teeny tiny little things, and um, I, I was really in the house, you know, with a monster. Um, but what I always had was my intelligence. I love to read. I love Goosebumps books. Um, I, I just love to read. I just would devour um, books that I could get from the library or, you know, really get from anywhere. Um, grew up poor, grew up on food stamps. Um, my mom was definitely the breadwinner. Um, and not necessarily by education, but by necessity. Uh, because my dad was in the streets doing his thing or just, you know, bumming it out, not working consistently. So my mom had different jobs. I recall her being an insurance, um, woman going from door to door, knocking on people's doors, trying to get them to buy insurance. Um, she would cook food during the Mardi Gras season. Um, she did healthcare work. She did sitting, like she did whatever it took, uh, to keep the lights on, um, in our household. And, uh, my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, uh, she was a big person in my life, her and my grandfather. She took, um, uh, she filled in some of those gaps with my, you know, for my mom. Um, and she had heart disease and she had lost both of her legs. She had gotten her legs amputated. And so, um, I saw that as sort of my first career passion developing because I, I really, I cared about my grandmother. I wanted to be a cardiologist. And so um, I started pushing towards that when I was in elementary school. And I had to write a paper. It was about how I was going to be a doctor, how I was going to help my grandmother. And then right before I got to middle school, uh, my mom and me and my brother, we ran away. Like on some Tina Turner type shit, like in the middle of the night. Um, we had packed up my mom's van while my dad was out one night, uh, probably at the, either at the casino or with another woman or whatever. And we packed up her van with all of our stuff, but not so much that he would notice. And so he got back home like maybe three or four o'clock in the morning and, um, went to bed and we got up like we were going to church that next day. It was a Sunday and, uh, we never came back. And so, uh, we, Got a little house, um, really like the next street over from my dad, but he didn't know. Wow. Uh, we, we got a little house and we had a, uh, what do you call those? Uh, it was like a hot plate. We had a hot plate. It was a one bedroom house with a hot plate. My brother slept on the, on the sofa and my, me and my mom slept in the bed together. Um, and at that time I was going to a preparatory middle school, which was, um, extremely rigorous and really challenging for me, um, but I was able to focus because now I wasn't dealing with that trauma and that abuse from my dad. Uh -huh. So I felt, uh, you know, freer, happier, more liberated um, to, to be a kid. <laughs> um, and so I did really well. I did really well in uh, middle school, and you know, when I when I got to high school, I went to John L. Lafleur. High school, which is, you know, in, in Tomanville, that's the neighborhood that I'm from. It's predominantly um, black. And at that time, I, I still had not developed um, a passion, uh, you know, to, to be a lawyer. Now, I always had a passion for um, speaking up for people and, and being the voice for people because I remembered when I was a 
being bullied or people, you know, not being able to speak up for themselves. And so, uh, but I didn't know any lawyers. And I think that when children don't have exposure, their aspirations are limited because you can't aspire to be what you don't know or what you haven't seen. Mm -hmm. Um, And so people around me were teachers. That's, That's what I knew. That's what I saw. And so, um, I'm sorry, somebody. And so, and so that's what I aspired to be. I went to Alabama A&M, um, and I wanted to be a teacher. And so, um, I think we were in student government. Um, and you, you might remember this. I, it's kind of blurry now, like who I was there, but I feel like you may have been there. Um, when we went to the Ku Klux Klan rally, did yes, you go? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so this is beautiful because because you were there. So even then, I still was in the Department of Education. That was my major. And we went to this rally. You know, we found out there's going to be a rally in Decatur, Alabama, the Ku Klux Klan. And I'm like, the Ku what? Like, Miles from here, they're going to come and have a, a rally, like, in this day and age. Like, nah, we, we got to go. Like, we, we got to be there. You know, Mobile, Alabama, um, I, I think we had one of the last lynchings in this country in 1982, um, a young man by the name of Michael Donald. And so, you know, with that being the legacy that I came to A&M with, uh, with, with that being sort of a history in Mobile, and those people who did that to him were in the Klan, and the Klan had been sued and bankrupted in the state of Alabama, I just felt compelled to go to this rally. And so um, I was not alone. You were there. Other people were there. And um, some other people from surrounding communities were there. Um, more than I thought would be there, actually, and we outnumbered them. And so I don't know if you remember, but, you know, we, <laughs> we had these signs, and um, my sign, I think, said equality or something like that. And I'm just yelling, we're all equal. We're all equal. <laughs> and one of the clansmen approached me, and he said, we're not equal. Like, in my fucking face. In my face. And so I see a cop walking over, like, briskly to us. And I'm thinking, you're about to get arrested. Like, that's your ass. You are in trouble. And to my surprise, I don't know why I was surprised. <laughs> But to my surprise, he turns to me and says, you better shut your mouth right now before I arrest you for inciting a riot. And I'm like, what? You're going to arrest me for inciting a riot? Me? And I just remember at that time, I was so appalled and I was so taken aback and I was so in disbelief. And I knew that I was not wrong because I was in a public place. It was a public sidewalk. And I wasn't saying anything that was harmful or damaging, but I did not have the legal terminology or the legal argument, the constitutional phrasing to articulate to that officer why I had a right to say what I was saying and how I could not be arrested for inciting a riot because the claim was inciting a riot. And so in that space and in that experience, I, I said, you know what, I got to go to law school because this will never happen to me again. And in that moment, in that space, we are learned individuals. For there, we were in college. We, yep. you know, we have some education. And I imagine other people who are not so similarly situated, who are profiled 
and mistreated, and they don't have the words. You know, right. children, vulnerable people, just folks just minding their own damn business who don't know the words, who don't know the arguments. And I decided that I wanted to be a voice for those people. And so I said, man, how can I go to law school? I'm like two or three years into education, and that's when I found out. You do not have to have any type of certain degree to go to law school. You just need to take the LSAT. Mm-hmm. And so I started studying for that, and um, I, you know, got into every school that I applied for. I decided on Vanderbilt, and here we are. <laughs> I know I, I, I went on, but I just wanted to, you know, answer your question fully from childhood to where I am now. And um, that that's how I, I, I decided on law school. I, I still thought, too, I, I have a teaching degree and a, a, a teacher's license and everything, and I even defend teachers now, but um, that's how that's how I came to decide on law school, and that's how that became my passion. Wow, I did not know that. Ooh, that was some good stuff. <laughs> that was some good stuff. <laughs> So what? Um, so to, just to educate, you know, my listeners, uh, can you tell us like what type of law you practice? Yes. So currently, I am the attorney for the city of Pritchard. Um, Pritchard is a municipality that is right next door to the neighborhood where I grew up, which is Homeville. Um, so I do that. I also represent um, Mobile Housing Board, which is an extension of. Uh, the Department of Housing and Urban Development, and um, I also handle divorces and child custody, child support, criminal defense matters, really mostly anything that comes uh, through my door, if it's people stuff and family stuff, um, I really try to help folks with that, and if I can't, I refer them out to someone who can, Uh, but mostly day-to-day things um, where somebody's you know, being mistreated or they're fighting for their kids or something like that. I handle those types of matters. And I, to this day, have probably represented over a thousand children who have been involved in dependency matters. And those are cases where children have been abused, mistreated, or neglected. Um, That's been the primary focus of my work. And I, I know that it is because of how I grew up and wanting to be a voice for those children to advocate for them and to make sure that they are in the best placement possible and that they get resources allocated to them so that they can uh, succeed in life despite their circumstances. Wow. Okay. I told y'all. I told y'all she's important. <laughs> I told y'all she's important down you there. Are okay. Let me ask you a question because I feel like in college, you know, you you always seemed so focused. Like you did not allow mm-hmm. the distractions of college life, you know, being at HBCU, being surrounded by some, you know, good looking men and, you know, all the other stuff. You didn't allow all that stuff to distract you. And so like, I would like to know, mm-hmm. like, what, like, how, how would you, how did you stay focused and still have fun at the same time? Because don't get me wrong, Moshe, Moshe have fun now. Mo have fun. You know, she have okay, fun, child. Good good time. <laughs> she had a good time, but you also so, stayed um, focused. Yes. Yes. Um, definitely had a whole phase, but didn't make it a whole chapter. Definitely went to all the parties, but still got up to go to class, um, you know, the next day. Definitely had all my stuff turned in on time. And I think it was because I knew that I did not have 
if I don't if I don't make it here, like what the hell am I gonna do? And if I lose my scholarship, who's gonna pay for this? You know, my mom dropped me off the album A and M with a TV and a hundred dollars. Period. And that's all I had, and that's all that I was given. When I first got there, I had to find a job. I started working at Walmart. Then I started working at um, Longhorn Steakhouse, you know, with going to class. I still remember that song. Uh, Fried chicken, country hog, get your birthday hot dog. I was a server. I mean, I just did whatever it took because I didn't have, <laughs> I did not have um, a backup plan. I didn't have, you know, somebody to stroke a check for me, and I could not risk losing my scholarship over some foolishness. Right. Um, I did have, you know, ambitions, even though I, I didn't know that I wanted to go to law school until, you know, about my third year. But um, I always wanted to be in a leadership role. I always wanted to, you know, if I, if I saw a problem and it wasn't being addressed or fixed to my liking, I wanted to get in there and fix it. You know, we were not having block parties at Alabama A&M. And then I got into SGA, and we weren't having block parties. And then, damn it, we started having block parties because that's something that you know I wanted to, to do and change and fix. And that was a small that's a small example, but um, I, I wanted to be you know the the phrase "be the change you want to see." Mm-hmm. Um, that's what led me in, in a lot of my ambition um, at A and M. But I was really focused because I had no choice. It's either like make it or go home. Right. And they sat us down at freshman orientation and was like, look to your left, look to your right. Those people may not be here, you know, at, at the end and when you graduate. And I'm like, I'm going to be here. That's not going to be me. I'm not going home. Wow. So. Okay. Well, find a way to make one. That's the bulldog way. Yes, it is. <laughs> so let's get into some little, yeah. you know, some, some other, some other good stuff. Okay. So, <laughs> so, how's that love life treating you? <laughs> well, um, my love life right now is good. Okay. Good. Okay. <laughs> okay. We're gonna leave. we're gonna put a pin. I, um, I, 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 I can say that I I am in love. Wow. Okay. I am in love, and uh, it is it is healthy. And um, it is different. And, you know, instead of me approaching, you know, in the past, and I can be honest about this, you know, hot, fast, and heavy, and then fizzling out because, you know, you don't spend enough time figuring out if the person's right for you. You don't spend enough time figuring out if this person is your friend. Like, figuring out if you actually like this person. Like, I think in the past, I have been so, so quick to love somebody and be in love that I didn't spend time liking the person. And so I can say I may be a bit of a late bloomer when it comes to that and just late in, you know, that growth and self-love and evolving um, that finally I'm in love with somebody who is my friend first and we were friends first. Um, and so um, that, that's been huge for me um, at, at, at this stage in my life. And so I'm I'm proud of that. I'm proud yes. of that. I'm in love. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Yeah. I'm so happy for you. Um so, Thank you. so um so funny. So I, I didn't tell you this, but um I'm also after your interview, I'm interviewing Chalet. Oh, cool. Yep. So, so both I love me some Chalet. 
Yep. So y'all gonna be both right after each other, and we all went to school together, so that's cool. <laughs> that's beautiful. Yes. You know, Shalay came to my baby shower with a suitcase, and I was like, "What is the suitcase?" And we opened up the suitcase, and all the other gifts were for the baby. But the suitcase was all the stuff for me, like stuff for me that I needed. And it was like a whole thing for me to take to the hospital. Like I didn't need nothing else. She had a robe. She had house shoes. She had lotion. She, I mean, just all sorts of things for my self-care. And Shalay is a, a big personality with, a, with an even bigger heart. And I'm so happy and excited for her success. Um, and this, you know, is, is no... It's no surprise that she is where she is because she's always been an amazing, magnanimous person. Absolutely. Both of you um, have. So, absolutely. Yeah. So um, do you think that it has it been hard um, dating, um, be, you know, being the woman you are? I know, you know, when we get to a certain point in our life, you know, we kind of then expect our partners to be at a certain place in their life as well. So do you think that men mm-hmm. have been like intimidated of you because, you know, you're an attorney and just other things? Do you, did, have you have you found found that to be a struggle? Um, I have found it to be a struggle because, you know, I live in Mobile, Alabama, and, you know, Mobile is up and coming, and there are a lot of wonderful, beautiful, um, upward people in Mobile, but Mobile is not Atlanta, Mobile is not D.C., um, and so the dating pool in terms of I would say career and finances and all of those things is, is a bit more limited. And so I have had to, I won't say adjust my expectations, but adjust my, I, but I, I have had to accept the reality that in most relationships that I'm in, I will be probably the higher income earner because I'm an attorney, I own a CBD store, and not that there aren't men out there who are doing those things, but they are few and far between. And so uh, I have had to adjust that in, you know, in my own relationships in that I have prayed for a partner of equity, not necessarily a partner of equality, because I'm cool with, if I got a cup and you got a tablespoon and you fill your tablespoon and I fill my cup, that's equity. Mm. Now, I can't help that I have a bigger cup because that's my positioning and my career and my trajectory in life, but I'm not going to, you know, shit on the, the steel mill worker or the shipbuilding worker because that, there's value in that too and the you know the pay is different but the heart if you are bringing your all to the situation and when I'm when I'm talking about the cup and the phone I'm talking about finance uh-huh. but on the energy and the effort and the reciprocity tip if I am being treated well and my effort is being returned <laughs> in excess and I am being fully loved and, and supported um, not to say that the money doesn't matter, but it's not as big um, a, of a slice of the pie as it may be for other people. Um, and so 
I think that, and I, I can't speak for my black teens in Mobile, but I, in my dating experience, I can say that some men have an issue in terms of ego and in terms of confidence and esteem with accepting a woman who does make more money, accepting a woman who, um, you know, is ready to travel on a dime and, and can go alone easy, accepting a woman who is visible to the public as a public figure, I, I think that can sometimes be a struggle. And on my end, I'm not going to uh, really soothe that. <laughs> and I think I, I think that, you know, there's no right or wrong on that. You can believe that that needs to be soothed or nurtured or whatever. But, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, to do that. But I'm not I'm also not going to, you know, intentionally operate in a way that is not considering um, considerate of a man's feelings and considerate of that power shift and, and those dynamics that I just described. Like, I, I know. I know I know what's up, and I know that there are some sensitivities that, you know, we have to be attentive to. Um, but I would expect that a man would come to me with his ego and his confidence and esteem in check because I'm not slowing down, and I'm not going to be quiet, and I'm not going to hide myself to make you feel bigger. And so it's been a struggle in finding that um, type of person. And energy, but um, I, I believe that I have found that. So. Yes, <laughs> yes. I'm so happy for you. you, you you've always, you've <laughs> always seemed like a hopeless romantic. Oh, I am. I'm definitely a hopeless romantic for sure. Um, and and when you have a big heart and you're such a giver, um, you know, I, I think when you struggle with self-love, like I did in some earlier stages, that look, what that looks like and what that ends up being is a, a lack of boundaries. Mm, and yes. then you end up with, you know, your heart broken multiple times. And then having your heart broken multiple times turns into brokenness. And so I had to heal from that to even be in a position uh, to find what I've just described to you. Because we can describe it and not be ready for it, and, and you know, and know it, but not be ready for it when it comes. So I had to work on me so that I could be in a position to receive that love and receive that strong, um, confident man, um, you know, when, when God sent him to me. So I'm thankful that, you know, I, I, I was single. I took some time to be single, to work on me, to love myself, to have self-care days to pray to manifest exactly what you know what what type of energy that i wanted um and so you know here we are and i'm still a hopeless romantic and i i have had to learn that some of my desires that are rooted in me being a hopeless romantic was triggered by trauma it was mm. because i grew up the way that i did and i saw the dysfunction that i did between my two parents I idealize, you know, an imaginary love and couple in my mind. Like, this is so horrible. This is so dysfunctional that um, I'm imagining that this is what people act like when they love each other, you know, because that was the complete opposite of what I was experiencing. But I had to learn that that wasn't realistic either. Right. <laughs> that wasn't realistic either. So, 
you know, it's, it's lessons in all of it. And I'm, I'm a, you know, a, a student of life. So I'm, I'm, I'm taking it all in stride. <laughs> yes. Hey everyone, it's Daryl from Daryl's Daring Thoughts. Couple questions for you. Do you have a black-owned business? Do you want to be a sponsor? Well, you've come to the right place. I have a great podcast, Daryl's Daring Thoughts, that you can sponsor your business on. You can sponsor it for one, two, three episodes or maybe the entire season. So if you want to sponsor your brand on my show, contact me at DarylDaresYou at gmail.com. That's Darryl. D-A-R-O dares you at gmail.com to learn how you can be heard in multiple countries alongside a celebrity guest through my sponsoring ad package. Can't wait to hear from you. So let's talk about your, um, yeah. some of your business ventures. Um, yeah, um, yeah t- tell us about them. Okay, so first of all, um, my nine to five, I would say, um, is really not even nine to five, but my main, um, source of income and, and career is being an attorney. Um, it's something that is really rewarding for me, but also something that is really heavy because I'm such an empath. Um, I'm a sensitive person. And so, you know, I'm a bulldog and I'm a fighter in the courtroom, but I, I really am like a, a, you know, a sponge. Uh, for emotion. So when someone comes to me with a problem or an injustice, you know, I, I tend to um, take that on. And it's, it's a it's a gift and a curse because, you know, you take it on, but you take it home. Right. But then it's a gift because it sometimes it infuriates me to the point that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so zealous and I'm so, like, invested in the case that there's no other op- outcome than for me to, to win and get a, you know, a, a great... Um, outcome for my clients. So um, that's that's what I do every day. I also own a CBD store. Um, and, and, you know, we, we know that CBD comes from him. It also comes from marijuana, too. But the kind that I sell, because I live in Alabama, <laughs> does not come from marijuana um, because marijuana is still illegal in Alabama. Um, but I, I wanted to open a CBD store because I had experienced um, stress and anxiety associated with work and I was looking for a relief that was not prescription. I did not, you know, want to get on um, Xanax or anything like that. Um, you know, nothing wrong with that stuff if it helps you, but it's not what I wanted for me. Uh-huh. So I was looking for um, alternative medicine and I started using CBD. Oh my gosh, the sleep that I could get with CBD. The relaxation, the stress relief that I could get with CBD, and I started like telling everybody about it. And I was like, you know what? I keep telling everybody about it, and I'm sending them to this white-owned business who is operating in an industry that has historically disenfranchised Black people. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, as I said earlier, be the change I want to see. It's, it's just the way I think about most things. And I'm going to open my own damn store. How about that? So I opened my own CBD store. I did a lot of research, went to Denver and um, Vegas and some other places, just vetting out different vendors um, and, you know, opened my own store in 2019, which has done well because, you know, a, a um, a lot of people that were also in the business uh, they came 
there's a lot of competition now in the CBD market, and then also COVID has just made it really difficult. But uh, we're still standing, and we sell some great products. The name of my store is Pure CBD Mobile. And hopefully, um, excuse me, with this work, um, it will position me to be able to operate a dispensary when the time comes. Um, I, I do have some contacts at the state legislature who can, um, who will, I think, help me facilitate that. But um, too often and too frequently, we get these opportunities in other states. You know, it comes across the news. Hey, this state just legalized marijuana. This state just legalized marijuana. But then when you look at who's getting the licenses and the permits, it's not us. They make it prohibitively expensive. You have different boards that decide, you know, it's going to be 35 tickets uh, statewide or permits statewide, and they're going to give them to their friends um, who look like them. And so um, I I want to change that narrative in Mobile, and I also want to be a part of the other piece because you cannot legalize marijuana without dealing with decriminalizing marijuana. And so many of our brothers have felonies and are incarcerated right now on nonviolent marijuana offenses on the same shit that white folks are in California making millions on. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, we're languishing in, in prison over what is a, a huge profit-generating um, mechanism in other states, and it's not right. But, you know, it's, it's, it's Alabama, so. That is true. Um, so is, do you have any other businesses? I, th- I don't know. I, th- I thought you had more than that. No, I have, um, my law practice and I have, um, the CBD store and I'm, I'm working on a book. Um, but you that's are. I'm, I'm also working. I am. I am working on a book. Yep. Okay. Okay. So we're going to be looking I'm forward to that. I'm just about, yes, yeah, some, some different things, you know, that, that I've gone through and, um, I, I see myself and so many of the kids that I work with, and I think that um, my experience should be a testimony. Yes, and so um, I do. Yeah, I so I'm working on a book, and I do, you know, operate in some other, you know, nonprofit functions. Uh, president elect of um, Mobile United, uh, vice chair of the. Um, University of South Alabama Regional Autism Board, um, and, you know, some, some other things that are near and dear to my heart where I, you know, either focus on a hands-on role or leadership role, but um, anything that I'm passionate about, I, I really try to, to dig in and to also make sure that I bring my son along for everything um, because I, I didn't have exposure much when I was a child, but my, my son, he sees everything. He's been to court with me. He sat in the judge's chambers while I was in the trial. Um, he go, you know, he's in the store with me. Um, he travels with me when I'm vetting products. He is up front with, with everything. So um, he definitely has it in his mind to be an entrepreneur, um, to trade stocks. You know, I teach him about the stock market and about options trading. That's another thing that um, I'm into and I've been able to do well at. And so um, those things are really important to me because I want to leave that legacy for my 
Absolutely. So, do you mind talking some politics for a little while? <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, I just want to ask you: Do you sure. do you have any desires? You know, to you know, I, I said it earlier. You know, I, I envision you in the White House or in the Supreme Court. You know, if you had to choose, you know, if you had to literally just pick which pill, you know, and that is, you know, you going to the Supreme Court or you will be in the White House. You know, what, what, which one would you choose? Uh, I would definitely say the Supreme Court because the Supreme Court, they establish precedent. And I believe that their influence over our lives are completely underestimated by the general public. Um, they control everything you can think of from uh, praying in schools to campaign contributions to um, interracial marriage to abortion to, um, you know, ma- mandatory health insurance. The laws that we make or the laws that are made in the White House are ultimately upheld or um, turned down by the Supreme Court. So they, and you know, when um, Justice Ginsburg passed away, God rest his soul, I was just, I mean, distraught because I'm like, oh my God, there's another seat. And we have so, so, so many issues that are coming to this new Supreme Court. Um, and, you know, Trump is going to appoint this person, and we can only imagine they're going to be, you know, uber conservative. And that, to me, is way more important than, you know, whoever is in the White House for four years or eight years or whatever, because those are lifetime appointments. Um, and, and these decisions, you know, directly affect the lives of all Americans, whether you're in Alabama or California. So um, that, to me, and especially, you know, with me being in the legal field, that's just ultimately where my greatest uh, respect is, is, is at the Supreme Court. So, so um, how difficult does it feel being in a, a red state, a conservative state um, that, you know, does not view, you know, does not have the same views as you, you know, we don't, they don't, you know, they definitely, you know, um, you know, believe abortion is, um, is, should be illegal. And, you know, all the different things that they've done with the abortion laws in Alabama, um, that has made global, global news that we've heard. And, you know, it's just such a conservative state. Like I, I couldn't imagine being in a place where I, I kind of feel like my voice isn't, necessarily even heard on a local level because it's just so overwhelmed with conservative values so how do you feel um living there and feeling opposite from what the current legislation does um so it is it's exhausting because you know we i i think sometimes we judge people for not voting you know and not doing anything at all or just, um, you know, resigning themselves from the political process. And I, I'm not one of those people. I always vote. But living in a state like Alabama, it's like you can see why someone may feel like that. Like, the whole state is red. Like, red, red. Like, does it matter if I vote? Does it really matter? Is that going to change anything? But then you look to 
our neighbor to the right at what Stacey Abrams was able to do in yes. Georgia. And so that definitely motivates me. That definitely gives me faith that, you know, we I, I think we are behind Georgia, but that we can change the state blue. I think we have to reorganize um, the Alabama Democratic Party. We have had some um, mishaps with leadership, uh, but now that we've gotten the old chairwoman out, I think that, uh, you know, we may be able to experience some significant changes um, similar to, not exactly the same, but similar to what Stacey Abrams was able to do. I really just want her to come to Alabama <laughs> and, like, do that do that thing. I want her to do that thing in Alabama that she did in Georgia. But or you um, can looking just at do Georgia it. keeps me or – I, or I could just do it. Or I could just do it. Um, but this is, you know, amazing. And I'm, I'm no Stacey Abrams. Not to say that I couldn't be, but um, she she's definitely uh, a queen that has changed this nation. So, um, And then, you know, the thing about where I live is Mobile, the city, is predominantly black. It's not a huge percentage over, but it is predominantly black. We do have a pretty big voting block. So, um, like our city council, we have some good, uh, you know, representation there. Um, our judges, we have black judges, but in the city, though, countywide, is all white. We don't have a single black state court judge, period. And I, I wanted to run for um, state court judge, and I had sort of, you know, evaluated the numbers and looked at um, the demographics countywide and ultimately decided not to run because uh, I was opening my CBD store and there were some other things in play, but I supported my friend who did run and, I mean, he he was swept. I mean, he he, he was swept and the, 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 the thinking in Mobile County is that if you want to win whatever it is that you're doing, especially if you want to be a judge, you got to run as a Republican. And that's just something that I'm not willing to do. Oh, it is something yes. that people do all the time, there are, you know, even some of us who, who do that. And it's very known and it's very, I would say, obvious why they're doing it. Um, but it's, it's just not something that I would ever do. And that's probably why I would never be a, polit a good politician anyway, because I ain't with the fake shit at all. I'm not going to switch parties just so I can win. I'm not going to do it. So, um I would say that politics is not for me. Um, I, I think I could engage in the political game to the extent that it allows me to become judge, uh, which is not a political position. But other than that, I would say, you know, don't don't look for me to be in the state house or be in Congress or anything like that unless, you know, I'm in um, the capacity of an attorney. Okay. So what are your thoughts of, on where we are, you know, of how things have played out, you know, poli politically, you know, um, for, you know, for, um, in the recent election with, you know, now, okay, so this is my issue. I think that, you know, there are a lot of people right now who are not happy with some of the recent things that have come out there with Joe Biden, you know, changing his stance on certain things. And I think that, what I don't like is how we 
people feel like once we get him in the white in the White House, got him in the White House, we're now we we don't now. I, okay, I think people don't people forget that just because he's in there, that doesn't mean that we still can't you know hold him accountable. And I, that's mm-hmm. kind of my 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 problem. You know, everyone you know was marching out there when you know they didn't like some of the um, laws that Trump made. You know, everyone was protesting. It was protests. It was protests, organized, unorganized, happened every damn week about something they didn't like for um for with Trump. And I feel like we need to still do that for Joe Biden if he if we, we need to be able to hold him accountable and hold him to our vote, because I think that a lot of people, you know, we don't we don't feel respected in the Republican Party at all. And then we feel like the Democrats don't the Democrats don't only cater cater to us when they feel like it because they need our vote, but they don't care about any of our issues. And I think that we need to mobilize to really hold him and the Democratic Party accountable for the promises that they've made to us because black people, especially black women, saved saved this country again. And so I I just wanted to know your thoughts on all of that. Um so I can say that I did not vote for Joe Biden himself. I voted against Donald Trump um, because I wanted Donald Trump out. I did not necessarily want Joe Biden in. I am tired of old white men running this country. Yes. You know, and and Kamala Harris was a consolation prize and it's beautiful that, uh, you know, a a black woman is um, in, in the White House in that role and in that capacity, but you know, it was a little bittersweet to say, you know, first vice president. I didn't I did not want I didn't want to say that, you know, we had the first vice president. I wanted to say, you know, first president. And not necessarily that I was on the Kamala train either. Um but, you know, I think that this is the best outcome of what we had. But that doesn't mean that we need to accept it blindly. Right. Um, you know, we do have power and they would not be in the White House if it were not for us. And, you know, as we just discussed, Georgia is a picture perfect example of that, of, yep. of the power um, that we have been able to wield to, to change this country and to move Democrats back into the White House. And if they if they don't listen and if they don't keep their promises, what it appears to me is that they're going to fumble, they're going to fuck up, and the Republicans in this four years are going to get, you know, they're going to be over there, getting their power back, you know, rebuilding their engine, changing their oil, and then we're going to be back in the same situation in four years, because you're going to take for granted who put you in there. Uh Because, like you say, they engage us. And they deal with us when it's voting time, but then when they're in the White House, it's like, oh, well, we'll get to the black agenda. We'll get to that, you know, later. We definitely have to hold their feet to the fire because we cannot be ignored. If we are ignored, I mean, I don't I don't know what that looks like. It either looks like a disengaged populist, uh, you know, a rebellious populist, or... You know, maybe it even looks like us starting our own party. I don't know what that could be. But I don't think that the outcome is going to be good looking forward 
if the Democrats do not take us seriously and make our needs a priority and fulfill the promises that they gave when they were seeking out those votes. I mean, that's bait and switch. Yep, absolutely. So I got. I'm not. I'm not a Joe Biden. I'm not a Joe Biden fan. I'm happy. I'm happy he's in there though, in comparison to what we had. Absolutely. But you know, I I still have high expectations. Absolutely. So I got two more questions for you before um, we wrap up, but um, I just want your input about being a, an attorney and all. So what do you, what are your thoughts on um, packing the courts? Um, I think that we have to. I think that we have to because, like I said before, in, in my view, the Supreme Court wields the most power over big picture, big decision type issues in everyday American life. And so it is too important and too critical for us to let Trump's last pick be the swing vote or the 5-4 vote in all these big decisions that are coming before the Supreme Court because they rush through that decision. Now, they like to play dirty, and we like to do things above board, and where has that gotten us? I think that Democrats need to do what is necessary. We absolutely cannot have conservative decisions being made on some of the issues that are coming uh, before the Supreme Court. I think another justice has to be added. I mean, at least one, one at minimum. And I think that that is what the Republican Party asked for when they rushed that Nomination and appointment. Yep. This is, you know, this, this this would be the chickens coming home to roost, so to speak. They did this when they, they refused to confirm uh, Merrick Garland yep. when Obama had appointed him when he was going out. But then, you know, you see the hypocrisy in the Republican Party is that they don't give a fuck. They're going to do whatever it takes to get their agenda pushed forward. And we have to arm ourselves with that same thinking to fight them and beat them. So, yes, pack that bitch out. Pack it. Pack it. <laughs> yes. Pack it. Yes. Well, you actually answered both my questions in that. So, Moshe, I want to thank okay. you so much. This was fun. I'm, I'm happy. This to- was so fun. I'm happy I was able to honor you as I stated at the beginning of the call. I love everything I see that you see you doing um, in your community. Like, you, you know, most people don't stay and, you know, do the work in their hometown. They move somewhere else. You know, they move to New York, to a California, to Chicago, to, you know, all these other places. But you stayed um, in your hometown and you're making a difference and that's that's amazing I, I um I I um I'm just in awe of how of how well you are I'm not not how well you're doing but how you have just made such a huge difference at such an early like you're still young like you still have so much more work to do and so I am just I'm I'm happy for you I'm proud of you I'm happy to say I know her every time you post you know your article or something so I just want to say I'm really proud of you and I was so happy to be able to honor you for Women's History Month thank you love and I'm so honored to be honored and like look I know it's Alabama but Mobile is beautiful. We're on the Gulf Coast. We have some um, access to some beautiful beaches, amazing fresh seafood. 
Please don't call me. I won't. Call me. Listen, my cousin, my cousin, um, my cousin uh, wants me to come down there because my cousin lives in Mobile, because she's been trying to get me to move down there. So, girl, oh. I, I said, girl, I am not moving down there. <laughs> Uh, honey, I'm not. I'm like, girl, I'm not moving down there. Um, and she, that would be funny. Girl, she's been trying to get me to move down there for years. Um, and her husband just passed away recently due to COVID, and so she definitely, you know, yeah. So she definitely miss, um, you know, miss family and stuff like that. So I do have every intention on coming to see her. But I'm like, girl, I'm still got COVID going on here. It's like, but I will definitely be down there because I'm going to see her. And uh, I will definitely okay. let you know. Def- of course, I'm going to let you know when I'm there. But I definitely thank you so much for doing yes. this. Um, safe travels because I know you're driving. Yes, thank I- you for doing yes. this. Yes. And thank you for having me. Absolutely. I love you. And I will talk to you soon. And thank so you. Yes, I'm gonna tell Shalay you and said I love hey. You too. I love you and thank you all so much for listening. To follow me on social media, you can go to Instagram. I'm very active on Instagram. Um, it's Cordero underscore Santiago. Follow me on Instagram to just stay in touch with everything I'll talk about. I'll update you on um, the upcoming episodes and things to look forward to. I'm so excited that I have an email address now for you guys to send me requests for topics, any questions you have regarding a topic that I've already discussed, or if you just want to vent about something that's going on in your life that you want me to talk about on an episode, I have an email address for you to do all of those things. The email is darrowdaresyou at gmail.com. So I'll spell that for you. Darrow, D-A-R-O, D-A-R-E, S U Darrow dares you at gmail.com. Send me an email.